It's July the 28th. Let's read the Bible. Friends, welcome back to this year-long journey through the Word of God. What an exciting time we have had. I mean, it's been amazing. Uh, every day, every single day, I have learned something. Well, you know, in these Old Testament books, I've learned a lot of names. I have had to pronounce a lot of names I had never heard of. Let me tell you, it's, uh, I keep coming back to the names, but it doesn't matter. You could read the Bible silently or just to yourself 50 times, and the names won't bother you. But when you try to say some of those out loud. So I've learned a lot that way. I learned a lot about who God is and how he works. And it's been, my faith is strong because of this. So thank you for joining us. Um, I'm doing this ultimately. I, I want to leave behind a legacy. It's a legacy project for me, for my family, my kids, and my grandkids, great-grandkids yet to come in generations that uh, may come until, until Jesus comes again. So the record will be there that uh, I was a man with many faults, but I was a man who believed God's Word, who believed this book. It's an honor to read it with you. Now, there's no problem of, of big names or strange names in the book of Romans. The challenge is the depth of the teaching. Uh, I remember when I preached through this book at Calvary Memorial Church in Oak Park back in the 90s. I preached, I want to say, 65, 66, 67, 68, somewhere along in there, uh, 60-something number of sermons from the book of Romans. And I did it over four years, did 1 to 4, 5 to 8, 9 to 11, and 12 to 16. And I just spread it out because there was just so much here. You know, there's a reason why Mark Lloyd-Jones preached uh, at— uh, um, Westminster Chapel in London for so many years and did hundreds of sermons from Romans and uh, never actually got into chapter 14, but never actually finished the book. There's a reason this book takes years to understand. Obviously, in the four or five or six days that we're taking, uh, we can't get down to the bottom of everything. But I think we can enjoy together uh, why people say this is the greatest letter ever written. Just a reminder of the outline of the book, Condemnation, chapters 1, 2, and 3, Justification, 4 and 5, Sanctification, 6 through 8, Vindication, 9 through 11, and then Application, chapters 12 through 16. So we're going to look at sanctification. Sanctification. Let me just begin to read. Romans 6 gives us one thing to think about, about what it means to be in Christ, and then Romans 7, something else about the struggle, the inner man. And then Romans 8, uh, there, there is therefore now no condemnation. So we get the whole, the whole range of who we are in Christ, the struggle we face, and the victory that is ours. Let's go. Romans, Lord, please open our eyes in these brief moments. May your word penetrate our hearts and change us. Amen. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, 
we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe also that we will live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead. Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. What then should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed to which you were handed over, and having been set free from sin, you became you became enslaved to righteousness. I am using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6. What great truth. Now, Romans 7, the struggle. Since I am speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? For, an exa for example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, she's married to another man while her husband is living. She will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is freed from that law. Then, if she is married to another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not sinned, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again, and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me, 
for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. What then shall we say? The struggle, everybody understands. I'm believing other things aside, everybody understands. What Paul's talking about, thing I want to do, I, I, I don't do. And what I hate, then I go ahead and do it. How could that be? What's going on inside me? Why such a struggle? Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's Son. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we also may be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groaning. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the same according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who were called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword. As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've been climbing through these eight chapters. Now we're standing, standing on the mountain peak. Romans 8, one of the great mountain peaks of Scripture. It begins with, no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. We are in Christ. We've been delivered. Yes, there's a struggle. Everybody struggles. You, you, we all struggle in many ways. That's in the book of James, but it's true. We know it's true. It applies here. We all struggle in many ways. You have your issues. I've got mine. 
You've got things that bother you. I got things that bother me, you know. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I just say, buddy, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You've been a Christian 54 years. You know better than that. Why would you say that? Why would you do that? Why would you think that? Why would you desire that? We've all done that. Maybe you haven't done it out loud. I've done it out loud. What is wrong with you? But we've all looked in the mirror and realized how far short we have to go. There's going to be a battle. We're going to be in the struggle until the day we die. If anybody says they've been delivered from the struggle, either they're lying or they just don't know themselves very well because struggle is a part of the Christian life. But your struggle today, your struggle today is without condemnation. You are not, if you're in Christ, you are not condemned. You're already righteous. You're already seated in the heavenly places. I mean, he said, those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. He does not say he will glorify. He, he puts it in the past. It's as good as already done. So go out and have a great day. You're going to struggle today. I'm going to struggle today. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. You've never had a day without struggle, and you never will. But you are not condemned. No condemnation. And there is no separation for nothing, no one. What? What can separate us? Not affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword or anything else that can happen to you today. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He called us. He justified us. He glorified us in the words of my friend Jack Wurtson. Jack loved to say this. I'm as sure of heaven as if I'd already been there 10,000 years. I think that's what Paul is saying here. No condemnation and no separation. Go out and have a victorious day. Come back tomorrow, folks. We're going to take a little turn. We're going to take a day and talk about the mystery of Israel in the plan of God. That's tomorrow. God bless. See you then.